Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning, South Valley. Great to see you today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I hope everybody's doing all right. I hope your property's doing all right. We had some crazy weather yesterday, and I don't know what to expect today. Um, but we, I, when we got on uh, campus today, there were some trees knocked down, and there were some things on campus we had to get cleaned up. And uh, yeah, it was kind of crazy. Uh, welcome to South Valley. My name is Ricky Hemi. Great to have you with us. Uh, thanks for joining us in person and also for joining us Online Today, we're going to kick off a short two-week series. It's titled Oikos, God's Plan for Reaching Your World. And immediately following this series, I'm super excited about this. We're going to jump into the book of Esther, okay? If you've never read Esther before, you know, you know why. If, if you have read it, you know why I'm excited. If you haven't, you're soon to find out because it is awesome book. Uh, there are only two books in the Bible named after a woman. We have Ruth and we have Esther and, and her story is really a picture of God's sovereignty. So I'm super excited to launch that series right around the corner. But before then, I thought it'd be good to go through, um, uh, just to look at God's plan uh, for reaching the world and how he wants to use us. And so if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn right now to Matthew 10, starting in verse one. We're gonna look at the sending of the 12 disciples who were later called apostles. And uh, if you're turning there right now, you're going to notice at first glance that this passage begins with a list of names. And, and I just want to be real right now. It's, I, I know that it's common practice for people to tune out as soon as they hear lists in Scripture. Anybody guilty of that? Like, as soon as I see that list of names, this person begot that person who begot that person. I'm just like tuning out. And so this is one of those passages it is a list of names. It begins with a list of names, but lists are important. And the reason lists are important is because they remind us that the Bible is a historical document. Okay, when we open up the Bible on Sundays, when we open up the Bible in our daily lives through our quiet times, we are reading and learning about real events, real people, real places, even real miracles. Everything in your Bible is real. And that's why the Bible includes things like geographical surveys and architectural specifications and travel diaries and population statistics and family trees and inventories and numerous legal documents because the Bible is not a fairy tale. The Bible is not a list of rules of rights and wrongs and do's and don'ts. The Bible is not a collection of myths and fables meant to inspire you to live a better life. The Bible is a historical story about God. It's a salvation story that progressively reveals God's plan for redeeming and restoring our broken world through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is I want to remind us that what we do on Sundays is all very real. You and I have been called by a very real Savior to carry out a very real mission. So that's what we're going to talk about these next two weeks before we jump into the book of Esther. So please turn to Matthew 10, verse 1, and I'm going to pray for us. Will you pray with me? God, 
thank you so much for a chance to just spend time in your word, to hear from you. Lord Jesus, we want to be about the things that you are about. We want to be about reaching the lost. We want to be about reaching the world. We want to be world changers for you. And so I just pray, God, that you would give us a boldness, that you would give us a fearlessness, that we would have that confidence that you can use us, ordinary people, to do extraordinary things. Remind us that of that this morning as we look through your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. A few months back, I visited a church plant in Tennessee, a plant that we're supporting here at South Valley called Cross and Crown. And every time I go to Cross and Crown to see what they're up to, um, I always uh, come back just refreshed because Southern hospitality is a very real thing. Have you guys experienced it before? Okay, when I show up in Tennessee, I was there a couple months ago because I preached. They asked me to come and preach at the church plant. And I show up and everything is planned out for me when I get there. And I've made so many friends there. I've got to know so many cool people there. And I show up and everything's planned. All I got to do is get dressed, hop in the car, and I go to all these amazing places. All this live music, bomb food, which if you know me, food is my love language, okay? All the best food, all the greatest, like just such a good time every time that I visit. But, but here's the thing. I, I, I'm literally just in the back seat everywhere we go and I just show up and it's, it's, it's awesome. Um, here's the problem though. When I get home, everyone likes to ask me, uh, what did you do in Tennessee? Where'd you go? What was the name of that yummy place you ate at that you posted on your Instagram? And my answer is always, honestly, I have no clue. <laughs> I don't know where I went. I don't know what roads we were on. I was in the back seat and I just showed, I just got dressed, did my hair, showed up and it was always amazing and fun because Southern hospitality is a very real thing. I was just a passenger and it was it's always a great time. I share that with you because in the book of Matthew, the passage we're reading today, up until this moment in Matthew's gospel, Jesus's disciples had been passengers in the car, and Jesus was the one doing all the driving. And it'd been a great drive for them so far, a great ride. They, they've been astonished at what he was doing, astonished by what they've seen. He's been healing people. He's been reaching people. He has this traveling ministry from town to town to town. And, and all they got to do is throw their sandals on and put their tunic on and grab some food and follow Jesus. And he's doing the ministry and he's carrying the weight and he's doing all the preaching. And he's just, he's got the game plan. All they got to do is show up and follow him. And, and he's got it covered. But then at the end of Matthew chapter 9, Jesus encourages them to do something. Jesus laments in Matthew 9. He laments over the fact that there's so much work to do on the earth and so few people carrying it out. There's so much work to do when he was thinking about his ministry and his impact and his goals for Jerusalem and in the world. There was so much to do, but so few people engaged. And so he says this famous words in Matthew 9. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful. You guys heard this passage before? It's plentiful, but the laborers are few. So much work to do. Not very many people out there working. The laborers are few. Therefore, you know what we need to do? We need to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
Well, in chapter 10, the Lord answered the disciples' prayer. And you know how he answered their prayer for more laborers? You know what he did? He answered their prayer in chapter 9 for more laborers by sending, guess who? Them. Okay, be careful what you pray for, all right? You might be the answer that you are looking for. Sometimes we look at the world and we're like, this needs to change. That needs to change. What, what, who's going to do it? God is saying, you, you're going to do it. That's exactly what happened in Matthew chapter 9. They're praying. Chapter 10, Jesus says, all right, guys, I'm going to answer your prayers by sending you. Well, the calling of the 12 and the sending of the 12 reveals three characteristics of the calling of every believer. Characteristic number one is this, and I I hope you find encouragement through this this morning, and it's this. Jesus calls regular people. Listen to what he says. Matthew 10, verse 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, you may not remember all the disciples' names. In fact, I nearly forgot about Thaddeus. Like, who is that guy? (laughs) What did that guy do? We don't know a whole lot about Thaddeus. But there is one thing you should never forget when you read that list of names. I know you're going to be tempted when you see lists to skip over it. Here's what I want you to see. When you see that list, here's what I want you to know. The disciples were regular dudes. Every one of them. Regular dudes. Basic, ordinary, everyday dudes. Just regular. Jesus' inner circle was a ragtag group that consisted of fishermen, a tax collector, a political zealot, and some other dudes with such basic jobs that they weren't even listed. This was the group that Jesus hand-selected to change the entire world. This was the group that Jesus chose to lead the greatest movement in all of human history. And no one could have possibly seen the potential in this group that Jesus saw. The same goes for you. No one can see all the potential in your life that Jesus sees. Not even your boyfriend, not even your girlfriend, not even your spouse, not even your parents. You have potential, untapped potential in your life and in your world that you won't even see until Jesus reveals it to you. Nobody saw the potential in these 12. Only Jesus saw the capability for world change that existed in these 12's lives. You may feel like a regular guy or a regular girl or just an ordinary everyday person, but what I want you to see over the next couple weeks is this. Jesus Christ specializes in regular. Did you hear that? You ever wake up feeling like a basic person? (laughs) Like, man, I I don't have 12,000 followers on Instagram. I don't have a YouTube channel. I don't have a podcast. I don't have a, you know, I got two dogs and a cat and some kids and and I live in (laughs) Lemoore. Pretty regular. Jesus specializes in regular. That's what we see 
And the, I don't have a cat, by the way. Let me just make that clear, okay? That just came to my head. Uh, me and cats don't get along. Um, okay. Amen. Yes, there we go. The 12 were regular. They changed the whole world without seminary degrees. They changed the whole world without fame or wealth or prestige. They changed the world without viral videos and social media and YouTube channels. They were ordinary people capable of very extraordinary things, which astonished others. Because when the ordinary do the extraordinary, who gets the credit? God does. That's why God specializes in regular in ordinary. In fact, when the early disciples, when they were carrying out the ministry in Jesus' absence after he ascended into heaven and gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit, people were astonished. We read in Acts 4.13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. How are these guys leading a movement that's that's impacting the whole, all of Rome is being moved by these guys and these gals. They are regular, ordinary people. Okay, I believe that regular, ordinary people from a regular, ordinary, tiny little town called Lamore can change the whole world. And I'm not just saying that, okay? I honestly believe we could change the world here at Lamore. You know how many people Jesus needed to change the world? 12. Okay, we have a lot more than 12 here right now. 12 is all he needed. Imagine what we could do if we say, yes, I'm willing to be used. Lord Jesus, send me. Imagine what we can do. Why is this topic important? Why am I talking about this right now and holding off on Esther? Well, the reason I felt compelled to share on this is because the American church today has made a habit of taking the ministry from ordinary, everyday people and placing it in the hands of trained professionals. The ministers today are usually the professionals that you see on a stage. But that is not Jesus's vision for the church. See, if you read the, the Bible, if you read the New Testament, you know that that. Jesus taught about the priesthood of all believers. You know what that means? Every believer is a minister. Every Christian is a minister of the gospel. It's not just the people who do things up here or the people who are employed by a church. Everybody who belongs to Jesus Christ is a minister. And in fact, what you see in the New Testament, the role of pastors, the role of shepherds is to equip the saints to carry out the ministry. Who are the saints? Well, the saints aren't, you know, Peter and Paul and all these people of old that you hear some, you know, traditions of the faith praying to. That's, we, there's one mediator between God and man, it's man Christ Jesus. We pray to one person, but a saint is a set apart one. A saint is somebody who's been declared holy and righteous. And it's, because of the gospel that they're declared holy and righteous. And so every person who believes in Jesus and has trusted in him and have been washed by the blood of Jesus is a saint. 
you, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you're a saint. And I know you probably say on a weekly basis, I'm no saint, but, but you actually are a saint. And it's not because you earned it or you deserved it, but because Jesus is enough and he has declared you holy and righteous and good and just because of what he did on the cross. And so now you are a saint. You are holy in his sight. So what's the job of the saints? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, people like me, my job is to equip the saints. Train them up, give them what they need, feed them the word, help them grow for the purpose, the work of the ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you are a minister. Well, at some point, I believe that pastors must stop enabling complacency in churches. And I'm not saying it's the congregation's fault. I think it's just a weird paradigm shift that's happened in the American church where it's oftentimes the professionals who do the ministry and everybody else just kind of watches. That's not Jesus's vision of the church. Jesus's vision of the church is that everybody is fulfilling the ministry. Everybody is stepping into their calling and purpose as a Jesus follower. Um, In his book, Letters to the Church, Francis Chan, He says that today's pastors are like physical trainers who exercise in place of their clients. Isn't that an interesting picture? I just started working out with somebody. His name's Randy. I don't know if he's here today, but uh, he's been working out with me over at Just Lift. And you imagine if I showed up to Just Lift with Randy and Randy just lifted all the weights and I just watched him. I said, man, I'm feeling so good now after watching you do that. (laughs) Like, look at how much I've changed. (laughs) It doesn't happen that way. I wish it did, by the way. Okay, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I wish you could just get buffed through osmosis. That would be great. But you gotta pick up the weights. You gotta change the diet. You gotta get up in the morning. You gotta say no to the Twinkie or to, you can still say yes to In-N-Out, but you gotta say no to other things in your life that might tempt you. And, and you, same is true with ministry. The only way for you to build your ministry muscles is to just start doing it. Picking up the weights, saying, God, use me. God, work through me. God, help me reach the people around me. Francis Chan said, leaders have become like personal trainers. They run on the treadmill while their trainees sit and marvel. And then they wonder why people aren't developing. You will never learn to flex your ministry muscles by watching others work out. You too must pick up the weights and work up a sweat. It was time for the disciples to begin living out their calling. No more tagging along for the ride. No more watching from the back seat. It was time to take the wheel and learn to minister because Jesus was leading a real ministry to real people. And he called on his disciples to really engage, which leads to characteristic number two. And it's this, Jesus's mission for you is specific. Listen to what it says here, verse five, Matthew 10, verse five. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, 
But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, this number 12 is very significant in this text. At the heart of what Jesus was up to was his belief that that through his work, God was at last renewing and restoring Israel, which traditionally had been based upon the 12 tribes. Now he was using these 12 disciples and these 12 were not just a sign that God was restoring Israel. They were actually going to be part of the means by which he was doing so. And though the gospel would later go out to the whole world, Jesus's initial ministry was to the Jewish people. He said, go to the house of Israel, the lost sheep of Israel. And so what we see here is that in this first missionary trip, this first missionary journey, this first, uh, you know, calling to go and reach people, it was first and foremost for the Jews, The Jews were given every opportunity to fulfill their destiny. And this is consistent with the message of scripture. If you look fast forward to Acts 1.8, it says that Jesus says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria into the ends of the earth. So it starts here and then it starts to go out. If you know what Uh, Romans, Paul says this, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the kingdom message was for Israel first, God's chosen people, which is evidenced in this initial short-term mission. And then it grew beyond that. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus's mission is specific, And I point this out because when everything is your mission, nothing is. And if you aim at nothing, you will hit nothing. (laughs) Okay, you cannot do it all. You cannot reach everyone. In fact, you will not reach anyone unless you have a clear target. Jesus's initial target was the Jews, which eventually expanded to the Gentiles. And so here's my question for you this morning. Who is your target? Whom are you evangelizing? Who are you reaching out to? Do you have a clear, defined mission field? Because you can't reach everyone, but you can reach someone. That's your calling, to reach someone. Who is that someone? Well, the word evangelize, and I know that this has come kind of a dirty word in the church because oftentimes when we talk about evangelism, people just feel bad because they don't feel like they're engaged in evangelism. And, and I felt that same way for many years, and so I understand. But let me get, give you a little bit of information about what this is all about. The Greek term euangelizo, which is where we get the word evangelize, is a word, uh, a combination of two Greek words, a wor- words for good and messenger. And at the heart of evangelism is the act of heralding a message of good news called the gospel, okay? In Greek, gospel, that word gospel is news that makes someone happy or information that causes one joy or words that bring about a smile. Do you guys believe that we as a church, we here at South Valley, we who belong to Jesus, do you believe that we have a message of good news? That's where it starts, okay? You have to believe you have a message of good news, a a message that causes 
the heart to be sweet. If you think the news is bad news, you're never going to open your mouth. If you recognize that the news is great news, then you are going to evangelize naturally because you're going to want the people around you to hear the good news. So what is evangelism? This is from the Lausanne Covenant. It says to evangelize is to spread the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. And that as the reigning Lord, he now offers the forgiveness of sins and the liberating gifts of the Spirit to all who repent and believe in him. Evangelism is itself the, the proclamation of the historical biblical Christ as Savior and Lord with a view to persuading people to come to him personally and so be reconciled to God. That is evangelism. And if you are a Christian, whether you're gifted in evangelism or not, you are still called to evangelize. To reach the people who are lost in your life, in your world. Now, with that being said, I know how scary that sounds. Some of you are thinking like, man, I want to do that, but God can't use me. I don't have all the, that's exactly how I felt. Like, God, how can you use me? I don't have the answers. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Where do I start? That sounds overwhelming. I want to do that. I believe in that, but what do I even do? And I felt like that for a couple of years. I was a pretty new Christian. I felt like that for a couple of years until I met a friend of mine who's a pastor down below. His name's Todd Arnett. And he introduced me to something in a Bible college course called the oikos principle. The word oikos is this Greek term meaning house or household. It's your extended household. The word, it doesn't mean yogurt, by the way, okay? Um, it can be, even though I do like oikos yogurt, um, the word can be used to refer to the close web of social connections in a person's life. The web of social connections includes webs of kinship, so your friend, your families, your, uh, your friendship, common associates, and acquaintances. That's your oikos. Everybody has a unique oikos, unique relationships, unique access to people. Okay, you have access to people I'll never have access to. They trust you. They don't know me. And, and we all have that. We all have unique influence, unique relationships. And th these people, I believe, and what we see in Scripture is your oikos consists of those that God has supernaturally and strategically placed in your life. They are not there by accident. They are there for a reason. The people around you are around you for a reason. And so what my professor had us do for an assignment was look around at who we do life with and write down a list of eight to 15 names and begin to pray over those names every single day for 15 minutes a day. And along with listing and then praying, we were also challenged to invest, get to know them, maybe hang out with them, send them a text, take them out to lunch, get some food, invite them over, do, do what we can to invest in that relationship, and then hopefully invite them to a faith environment like a Sunday service or some, some other church event, and then also to prepare ourselves to answer questions and to grow and, and to you know be more equipped to be ministers. And so we were challenged to do, to do this, and uh, quite frankly, Frankly, we had to do this for credit, okay? And uh, so I did it. Well, in that one semester, when I took that seriously and I made it a priority, 
I saw almost every single name on my list of eight to 15 names. I saw almost every single name come to Jesus Christ in one semester. I'm talking about family members. I'm talking about guys that I went to high school with. I'm talking about people at my work that I was working with. I, uh, I was working at, um, I was bucking hay for a living. I, I'm talking about people that I never ever believed truly deep down would actually come to know Jesus Christ. Like maybe they, they're too messed up. They're too far gone. They're too whatever. And, and in one semester, I saw almost every single name. I was baptizing siblings. I was baptizing coworkers. I was baptizing people left and right in one semester. And after that, I was sold. I'm like, I'm all about this thing. In fact, I was so, so sold on Oikos that that's actually what I wrote my dissertation on when I went to uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. I want, I want to help churches in this area. I've been sold on it ever since. And, and today, though, as you know, I live in a new community. And so since I live in a new community, I've had to form a new Oikos. When my wife and kids moved out here to Lemoore, we didn't know a single person didn't have a single friend, didn't have a single family member, nothing, nobody. So what do you do? Well, you start paying attention to who's right in front of you. I started paying attention to who goes to my kid's school, the families that are there, the families at my son's jujitsu class, the families at the BMX park, my Oikos today consists of my actual physical neighbors next door to me and across the street from me and over across the way and getting to know them and spend time with them and hang out front with them and, and talking to people and inviting people over and just building relationships from scratch, building a new Oikos, people at my favorite restaurants, at my gym, at the Dutch Brothers where I get my coffee, uh, in and out where I get my food, uh, wherever I'm at, like just paying attention to who is right in front of me. And I started to build, even though my original group and my, you know, the people I did life with forever are so near and dear to my heart. And I miss everybody from down south. I miss them dearly, but I knew I needed to start over. And I knew my first mission field, believe it or not, and this might sound controversial, my first, first mission field is not South Valley. It's my Oikos. My first mission field are the people I see every single day at school, at, around my neighborhood, when I'm out with my kids, that was my first mission field. And I am blown away by what God has done in my new Oikos just over the past two years. A few months ago, I baptized my next door neighbor, Peggy. Last week, I went to a prayer breakfast and was shocked to see her husband, Jim, there at the prayer bre breakfast. I've seen beyond that, I've seen a few other neighbors start coming to, to church here. And I just last week, my, a new neighbor, his name's Austin, said, you know what? I think I'm ready to finally come check out South Valley as we were doing yard work together. A few months ago, I had the privilege of baptizing an entire family from my son's jiu-jitsu gym. One of them's in here this morning. Now they're dear friends of ours. Additionally, Two more sets of neighbors have come to the church. Some of Carly's co-workers, where she works at Keller Williams, have come to the church. Families from the Lomore Rec Center, where my kids play soccer, have started coming to the church. Even the girl who cuts my hair came to check out the church. <laughs> Beyond that, my oikos being transformed, we've also seen transformation in 
so many lives through Sundays. Over the past two years, South Valley has almost doubled in size over the past two years. Yeah, that's very exciting. And you know why? Because of you. (laughs) You have an oikos that you've been inviting your friends. That's why the church is growing. That's why people are being transformed. That's why we're seeing fruit. It's not because of me and what I'm doing on a stage. It's because all of us together are reaching our worlds together. And when all of us together reach the eight to 15 people that God placed in our lives strategically and supernaturally, naturally the church just grows because God uses everyday ordinary people to do big, mighty, and extraordinary things. Can I get an amen? That is why we are seeing fruit because I am not the only minister at South Valley. You are ministers too. And you have been active in reaching your friends and your family and the people around you. And, and in fact, we've had such growth that we, we need more help in different areas. And so you heard about uh, Dream Team next Sunday night. If you wanna join the Dream Team, if you're not volunteering around here, you want a place to volunteer and find your fit, sign up and join the Dream Team. And if you are a current volunteer, we want you to come next Sunday night. We wanna thank you, share some vision, tell you a little bit about what's ahead. And we also wanna plug new people into the ministry. So sign up for that online. Jesus' mission for you is specific. You have a mission field and I have a mission field. You are not meant to reach everyone, but you are meant to reach someone. And finally, characteristic number three. Here's some great news. Where Jesus guides, he provides. I know stepping out and being used by God is scary. But when you finally say yes, what Jesus doesn't do is leave you hanging. What he doesn't do is say, all right, good luck out there. I hope it goes well. Talk to me, talk talk to you later. (laughs) He gives you what you need to succeed. Look at what he does here. Matthew 10, verse eight. He said, he sends them out and he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. You know what Jesus promises his followers? If they step into their calling and embrace their mission as world changers, you know what he promises that they will experience as they live for him boldly and and unashamedly out in the world? You know what he promises? He promises power. How many of you want to see the power of God in your life? The power of God in your family, the power of God at your workplace, the power of God in this town, the power of God in Kings County, the power of God in California, the power of God in the United States, the power of God sweeping across the world. 12 people did it. What could we do with all of these people if we 
we trust God's promises and walk into our calling. He promises when you step out, you can expect one thing and it is power. God's power to act. The power to speak. I remember before becoming a Christian, I could not talk in front of people, ever. I literally ditched school when I had to do a presentation at school. I would not show up. When I was about to graduate high school, one of my teachers sat me down because I had to do a presentation before graduating. And he said, Ricky, I'm telling you, I know you always ditch when it's presentation time. If you do not present, you will not pass and you will redo your senior year. So I showed up and I spoke, but my tongue was literally stuck on the roof of my mouth the whole time I spoke. It was so embarrassing. I just, but I had to do it. And I, luckily I graduated high school. That said, I became a Christian. Someone asked me, hey, will you go and share to this group of little junior hires? Share your testimony. Share this passage out of Matthew with them. Like, wait, what? I can't talk in front of people. Last time I tried, my mouth didn't work. <laughs> And then I got up in front of these junior hires and I had something to say. I had something to say because I trusted God to give me the words. I trusted if I prepared myself and if I put myself out there that if Jesus was guiding me to do something, he would provide for me. And I stepped into the pulpit that morning, afraid of these kids that are this tall, just frightened, shaking in my boots. And I started talking and the power of God was just on display and people were blown away. And so was I. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was not me. <laughs> it's the power of God. The same will happen with you. For it's not you who speak, Jesus says but the spirit of your father speaking through you. As you step out, heaven opens up. You do things you never thought you can do. You become someone you never dreamed of becoming. You see fruit and life change you never dreamed possible. Billy Graham, he has a famous saying. He says, if Jesus is everything he claims to be, then it is possible you can become everything he wants you to be. That is my hope for you, South Valley. My hope and my prayer for you in this church is that you would become everything that Jesus has made you to be. And there are gonna be times that you're afraid. There are gonna be times where you wanna give up. There are gonna be times that you don't feel worthy that you feel too ordinary, but Jesus Christ specializes in ordinary. He uses regular people to do extraordinary things. That is what he does. So that's what happens in this passage. The disciples in this passage are no longer called disciples. They're called apostles. It's the only time in Matthew that they're changed to that verbiage. And that means that they are now sent ones. They've been sent out by Jesus to be healers and restorers. They've been sent out by Jesus to bring life and hope to others. They, they were told not to worry about the hurdles ahead because the Lord would make a way where he guides, he provides. Do you believe that Jesus has given you the power to act for him? Well, if you fast forward to the end of Matthew, you learn that the Great Commission is not just a suggestion, it's a command. 
These are your marching orders. One day you're held accountable to how faithful you were to the mission. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. The laborers, though, are few. And if you are praying for more laborers in the harvest, you better be ready for Jesus to send you because you are his plan A for reaching the world and there is no plan B. So how is it going? I wanna share with you one more quote. Ed Stetzer, Transformational Church. Satan has a simple mission to keep lost people lost. Who's lost in your life? A son? A cousin? A coworker? A neighbor? A friend on your sports team? That kid you sit next to in class? Who's lost in your life? Satan wants to keep them lost. That's his only job. Keep them as lost as possible for as long as possible. That's all he cares about. Well, how's he do that? Among numerous strategies, one of his favorites is to keep Christians convinced that ministry must be left to professionals. But to reach the nearly 7 billion people on the planet with the gospel, Christ intends to use all believers in the work. Satan attempts to convince people that only exceptional people used in exceptional ways will accomplish God's mission. He would love for us to think that only the elite of leadership can be used in God's mission to save souls. But God's mission is for all Christians. Extraordinary people for God are simply ordinary people who are willing to be used. And so here's my application for you today. Reach your oikos. On the way in, you should have received a bulletin. In there, you're gonna find this card. It says, my own people. So here's a challenge for you. Take some time to list out eight to 15 names, people in your life who need Jesus. Write out those names. The second thing that you do after you list, pray. Actually pray for them five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, whatever you can pull off every day, just Take some time to pray over those names. Number three, invest. As you're praying, these people are gonna be on your mind and you're gonna be wanting to get to know them better. And so naturally you're gonna to want to invest, invite them over for dinner, send them a text, say something to them on Instagram, uh, go over and help them with something, get to know them, listen to their story, have them over at your pool, invest in those lives. Number three, four, invite. So notice that I don't start with inviting. I start with getting to know people, actually loving people, caring about them, hearing their story, and then inviting them to a faith environment, invite them to a Sunday, invite them to an event that we're doing, get them here and, and come with them and help them as they enter into a new environment, ask them to come to church with you. And then finally, number five, prepare. As you do this, you're going to want to be more equipped. Because as you minister to your oikos, your eight to 15, you're gonna realize they have questions. They have things that they wanna debate. <laughs> they have things that they want just to talk about. And so all of a sudden, your time in the word is gonna to come to life because you're not just learning for yourself, you're learning for others too. You wanna have answers, you wanna grow, you wanna be equipped, you want to be a world changer, you want to make a difference. Jesus wants to use you. And, and here's the thing, he can't use you unless you know him. And so before you could do any of this, the first step 
is just surrender to Jesus Christ. Maybe today you came in here walking a different path, kind of like me when I was in high school and I was lost. I didn't think that I could change my life. I didn't believe that anything could, my world would ever be different until I finally surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and my eyes were open and I came, became a new creation, had a new purpose. Maybe that's where it starts. It starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so for some of you, today needs to be a day not of doing this. Today needs to be a day of doing this. God, I'm ready. I'm done doing my life my own way. I'm gonna surrender. Jesus, his grace is sufficient for you. Doesn't matter how much sin or shame or guilt you have piled up, he is able to wash it all away to make you white as snow, to turn you into a saint. And then he's gonna take you off of that broken road and he's gonna put you on a different road and you're gonna become somebody in his name that you never dreamed possible. It all begins with Jesus because he changes everything. And so if you need Jesus this morning, why don't you pray this prayer with me? Let's close our eyes and let's pray together. If you need Jesus, pray this. Heavenly Father, I need you. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for the ways that I've fallen short. You know my fears and my anxieties. You know my desire to do better, but my inability to become the man or woman you I know I'm supposed to be. Change me from the inside out. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Change my world, Jesus, and help me to change the world around me. I love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.